0: The first Bible reading is from Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving, let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God, and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. For He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, For forty years I loathed that generation and said, They are a people who go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. The next passage is from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and got rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward. In the words already quoted, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, and of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account.
1: Gracious God, your Word is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. today, when we hear your voice, deliver us from hardness of heart. Help us to put away everything that keeps us from persevering in your way for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What do you feel when you are asked to take a break? What do you feel when you're asked to take a break? I think our answer to that question uh, can reveal a lot about ourselves and our hearts. So for example, is anyone here a fan of the musical Hamilton? I know Steve, uh, Steve just put his both arms up. Uh, I know Steve uh, and some of his friends went to watch it. Uh, was it like the opening show or something? Or one of the, uh, one of the earliest shows? Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Hamilton is a hip hop musical about Alexander Hamilton who is one of the founding fathers of the United States of America. And uh, musicals normally have two acts. In the second act, uh, Hamilton is serving as the Secretary of the Treasury. And he's frantically working his butt off trying to uh, put together this big and important financial plan. And when Hamilton is asked by his wife and his sister-in-law to take a break, uh, it's also the name of the song, this is his sung reply. I have to get my plan through Congress. I'll lose my job if we don't get this plan through Congress. I can't stop till I get this plan through Congress. Does this resonate with you? Maybe you're not the US Secretary of the Treasury, but you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. And if you were to actually take a break, then you feel like everything would come crashing down. Or maybe, when you're asked to take a break, you think of another Hamilton, uh, the warm sands and beaches of Hamilton (laughs) Island. Uh, Last Saturday, when Steve told me he was going to Hamilton, I thought of the island, not of the musical. Uh, Maybe you think of the sands of Hamilton Island, or maybe any of the other holiday destinations that have been showing up on your friends' Instagram feeds, you know, Singapore, Vietnam, New Zealand, Japan. South Korea, Switzerland, Italy, Hawaii. Wherever it is, you're ready right now to get away from the hustle and bustle of your life here. You long to escape so that you can take your mind off everything and just relax. Do either of these resonate with you? I know there have been times in my life where uh, I felt both. And neither response is wrong in and of itself. You know, it's, it's good and it's loving to be faithful with what you're responsible for, and so you need to get your things done. It's also right and appropriate to take your leave day, so that, uh, your leave days or your semester breaks so that you can uh, rest and recuperate from a hard uh, period of work. But I think knowing how we might ex- instinctively respond to the suggestion to take a break and to rest will be helpful for what we're about to hear from God's word this morning. So I'm going to suggest that we take a break now, and it would be great if you could turn with the people around you, introduce yourself if you haven't met them before, and share with them which way you would feel inclined when you're told to take a break. I'll give us 60 seconds, and then we'll come back. That's about 60 seconds. I wasn't really counting. It just felt like 60 seconds. Maybe a little quick straw poll. Hands up if you feel like Alexander Hamilton when you're asked to take a break. Here's all the workaholics around here. Hands up if you think of Hamilton Island or any other holiday destination. Hands up if you don't think. Yeah, great. Um, This morning, we're in the second sermon of our two-shot series where we're collectively taking a breath, uh, taking a deep breath before the year ramps up uh, with all the busyness of our, of our years, and we're taking the time to reflect on the idea of rest. And last week, we spent some time in Psalm 23, and Steve helpfully uh, showed us from Psalm 23 how we uh, can be comforted with the truth that Jesus is our good shepherd. Uh, he is the one who laid down his life for his sheep and is ultimately in him as his sheep that we can find peace and quiet and refreshment. This week, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to delve deeper into what God's rest looks like for us now with Jesus as our good shepherd. So that's kind of how they're linked. And from the outset, can I say that our Bible passage for this morning may be quite confronting. And it'll be confronting because it challenges us with this question. Do you believe that God has given you rest? Do you believe that God has given you rest? And I think immediately we can see how our response uh, to the suggestion early to take a break may indicate how we might feel about this question. Are we hesitant to take a break Because we don't trust that God has enabled or perhaps even allowed and permitted us to truly rest? Or are we so obsessed with the next big holiday escape because we don't think that anything else, not even God, can give us the rest that we truly need? Do you believe that God has given you rest? My prayer is that as we wrestle with our passage this morning, you will be assured in your heart that God has indeed given you rest, uh, and that from that you might feel empowered and liberated to enter that rest. Uh, but uh, before we uh, jump in, just a brief note of explanation about this sermon. Typically at, our, uh, at SLE, our sermons are what are known as expository sermons, Uh, This means that we preach on a one particular Bible passage and we preach week to week uh, through a book or a chunk of the Bible, passage by passage. Uh, But sometimes, sometimes it's good for us to take a a more topical or systematic approach to hearing from God's word. Uh, This approach is different, uh, but it is a no less biblical approach. And at SLE, we don't do it too often. But every so often, it is good for us to focus in on a particular topic or a particular doctrine. And so this morning, I will be preaching from Hebrews 4, but it may sound more like a topical sermon rather than an expository one uh, because of the nature of this sermon series, and also because we're going to focus particularly on what this passage has to say about rest. And Hebrews 4 is actually a fantastic passage to turn to when thinking about rest uh, because, uh, as, as we've read, it actually invites us to consider how the idea of rest has been revealed and developed throughout the whole story of the Bible, all the way from the time of creation through to God's covenant promises and ultimately in the fulfillment of God's plans to the world in Jesus. And so with that preamble out of the way, let's jump in, grab your Bibles, keep it open in Hebrews chapter 4, and immediately when you look at verse 1, we learn two things about God's rest. So I'm going to read from chapter 4, verse 1, and you also see it on the screen. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So we learned firstly, that rest is a promise. And as we'll soon see, it's a promise that has been spoken by God all the way throughout the Bible. Secondly, we learn that rest is something that we enter. And we also know that it is something that we can fail to enter. And so in this sermon, we're going to be exploring each of these things in turn, rest being a promise and rest being something that we can enter. And as we wrestle with Hebrews chapter 4, I want to help us hear God's promise of rest. And once we've done that, once we've grasped that, I want you to f- help I want to help us feel compelled to strive towards entering God's rest. And so you'll see those two points on your the outline there as well. So firstly, let's take a moment to hear what the writer has to say. About this promise of rest. Now we know that uh, when there's a promise, there are usually two parties to the promise, right? There's the promise maker and there's the promise receiver. And it's clear if you read a little bit before and after Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, that the promise maker is God. It is God's promise, God's promise of rest. But who are the promise receivers? That one's a little bit more difficult. So let's uh, have a read on from verse 2. I'm going to read from verse 2 to verse 5. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Now do you know how if you lose something the first thing that you try and do is retrace your steps. Where did I last see this thing, or where did I last use this thing? That's sort of what the writer to the Hebrews is doing in these verses. He's kind of retracing the steps of the recipients of God's promise. And so he begins by saying that uh, those of us who have heard and accepted the good news of the Christian gospel have received God's promise of rest. But you see there in verse 2, before the good news came to us, it came to them. And by them, the writer is referring to God's chosen people of Israel, and specifically to those who had been rescued from slavery in Egypt. Uh, We know this because the writer is quoting from verses 3 and verses 5 from Psalm 95, uh, which we read uh, together earlier. And Psalm 95 uh, recalls the time that the people of Israel hardened their hearts towards God whilst they were traveling in the desert. God had rescued them from Egypt, away from slavery, and he had promised to lead them to their promised land, and he had promised that in this land they would receive rest. But the Israelites doubted this even though they had just witnessed God's amazing power in rescuing them from Egypt. And so as we learn in Psalm 95, God swore in his wrath that that generation would not enter his rest. And so for 40 years, they wandered the desert. The the trip was meant to only take eight days. It took 40 years. And those 40 years were so that every single one of that generation Except for Joshua and Caleb, would eventually die off. And so we take the step from us, <clears throat> those who have received the promise by believing the good news, to them, those Israelites who do not believe in God's promise for us. But then you notice uh, in the in the verses that we read, the writer goes one step further back. In verse four, he talks about the seventh day which we know is referring to the creation story uh, that the the writers of the Hebrews said, hey, it's said somewhere, but we know that it comes from the first two chapters of Genesis, which is at the beginning of our Bibles. Just a quick recap, on the first three days, God forms various parts of creation. On days four to six, he fills out those parts of creation. And then on the seventh day, God rests. And because he rests, God blesses the seventh day, and he makes it holy. Now, why does the writer take that extra step back to creation? Why does he do that? Well, uh, if you've noticed in your Bibles, whenever the biblical writers make a reference back to the creation account, they do so because they know that uh, they know God as the creator of the universe. Uh, has embedded within his creations his plans and intentions for his creation. Uh, So I'll give you an example. Uh, God creates fruit that is pleasing to the eye because the fruit is good for eating. It's pleasing to the eye because it's good for eating. There's a reason why fruits are colorful and fun and vomit and poo are not. You eat fruit, you do not eat vomit and poo. And God has weaved that into the design of his creation. God creates fruit to be good-looking because he intends this fruit to be consumed as food. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see Jesus do a similar thing where he makes a reference back to creation when he is asked about the topic of divorce. Now, Jesus begins his answer by reminding them about the creation account. Uh, He reminds them that God institutes marriage as a one-flesh union between man and woman. And he says that this shows that God intends that those who are married, who are joined together, should not be separated. Now, Jesus says uh, more about the topic of divorce, but the point I want to make is that when passages in the New Testament refer back to the Genesis creation account, often it's because they want to make a comment about God, what God's created order tells us about his intentions for creation. Do you see that? So then what is the significance of being, taking back, taking, being taken back to the creation account when it comes to the idea of rest? Well, I think the fact that uh, the rest is included as part of the seven days of creation tells us something about God's intentions for rest. Now, I don't think God rests on the seventh day because he needed a day off. uh, He didn't need a day off to recover from his work. The infinite God of the universe does not grow weary and tired. He doesn't need to rest like we do. So why does God rest? He rests because his work of creation is finished, it's complete. There is no creating left to do. He just sits back and he marvels at what he has perfectly made. It's like when you crack an egg into the pan and you fry the perfect sunny side up egg. Or when you grind and pull a perfect shot of coffee. Or when you manage to squeeze out every last drop of sauce from the Migorang packet. You just sit back and you marvel at your work. The culmination of God's creative work is rest. But why does God include the seventh day in his creation account? Why does he bless this day and make it holy? Well, I think it's because God intends rest to be part of his creation. And in fact, he, uh, in resting on the seventh day, I think that God shows that his intention is that the whole of creation would ultimately enter rest, just as God did. I think this is why the writers of Hebrews refers back to the creation account. And so to uh, to quickly summarize, we are reminded that God promises rest to all of creation. He then promises rest to His people, Israel. And then finally, He promises rest to us. So that's the recipients of God's promised rest. Uh, Now we take a look at the revelation of God's promised rest. The writer to the Hebrews Steps us backwards to highlight these recipients of God's promise to us. Uh, but then in the verses that follow, the writer jumps forward again to highlight how this promise of rest has been progressively revealed or made known to those recipients. And so the writer to the Hebrews reminds us that even though God has finished his work of creation, he did not stop working within creation. Even though God finished His work of creation, He did not stop working within His creation, because we see that after God rests from His work, He continues working to bring rest to His creation and His people. But this rest looks different as time goes on. Now, the writer likes the writer of Hebrews like this backward step things. He does this backward step thing again. Uh, through verses 7 to 9. But for the sake of our brains, I think I'm going to do that reverse so that we follow God's promises in a chronological order, if that makes sense. If it doesn't, I hope it will make sense as I go through. So we're going to start in verse 9. And we are reminded in verse 9 that God's promise of rest, uh, God, the promised rest of creation, is first communicated to God's people through what was known as the Sabbath law. The Sabbath law is where every Israelite was to rest from their work every seventh day. And the Sabbath uh, was modeled on God's pattern of rest in creation. God rested on the seventh day. The Israelites are also to rest on the seventh day. And the Sabbath was designed uh, to point God's people forwards towards their ultimate rest in creation. So verse 9, we see uh, that God communicates, reveals what rest looks like through the Sabbath. Now for the Israelites wandering the desert for 40 years, he promises to lead them into the land of Canaan in order to give them rest. So rest looks like entering their promised land. And after that first disobedient generation passes on, Joshua does ultimately lead the Israelites into this promised land. You can read about that in the book of Joshua. Finally, finally, in the promised land, God's people were free from the power of Egypt and they were free to worship God in their own land. But as the writer to Hebrews says in verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. And we do know that later on, generations after Joshua, uh, God does speak another promise of rest, this time to King David through the prophet Nathan. God promised to King David rest from all the enemies that were troubling the Israelites as they resided in their promised land so that they could freely worship him. But because of their disobedience, because of the disobedience of the Israelites, because, in fact, they worshipped the gods of their enemies instead of God, the one who saved them, the kingdom of Israel would ultimately fall to their enemies. And the, key, and the people of God would be exiled out of their promised land and forced to live in enemy territory. But as we saw in verse 7... In the midst of their exile, God would say through David, in the words of Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The writers of the Hebrews invite us to take this bird's eye view of God's promises of rest. You see, when we zoom in on each of those things, uh, we see that rest takes several forms. It takes the form of the Sabbath. It takes the form of the promised land. It takes the form of safety from enemies. But when we zoom out and we see all of those in the context of God's big picture, big story of the Bible, we see that all of these promises ultimately stem from God's rest from creation, and they ultimately point towards creation entering God's rest. Because... What these forms of rest all have in common is that they all intended to give God's people the time, the space, and the opportunity to worship God. To worship Him by resting and marveling, not at their work, but marveling at their Creator. It gave time for them to worship God to marvel at their Creator and to marvel at the ultimate rest that God, their Creator, was working in His creation to bring to His creation. God has spoken words of rest for generations, ever since the beginning of creation, but now, today. How does He speak His promise of rest? He speaks... Through his Son. God's ultimate promise of rest comes from the lips of Jesus, our Good Shepherd. He calls all who are wearied and burdened to come to him, and he will give us rest. And, friends, not just the rest from the labours of our work for the labors of our study. No, Jesus takes the burden of our sin and he takes it all the way to the cross. And what Jesus achieves in his death and in his resurrection is the ultimate rest that God's creation has been groaning for all this time. You see, God's plan to bring ultimate rest to his creation finds its fulfillment in Jesus. By taking on the burden of our sins, Jesus has given true rest to our wearied, sin-laden souls. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus has secured rest for God's creation and for us, his people. And so, friends, when we hear his voice calling us to come to him for rest, we hear good news, don't we? Jesus has given us the promise of eternal rest. And friends, when we enter that rest, we will marvel at and with our Creator for all of eternity. So friends, today, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't fall into the disobedience and disbelief like generations past. Don't miss out on God's rest. But as the writer to the Hebrews urges us in verse 11, strive to enter God's promised rest. How do we do this? How do we do this? Well, friends, I think the first step is to hear His promise of rest. And we spent most of our time this morning hearing this promise all the way throughout the ages. So then what's the next step? What's the next step? The writer says it simply in verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest. And this leads us back to the question I asked at the beginning. Do you believe that God has given you rest? Well, friends, if you have entrusted yourself to Jesus, then your answer ought to be a wholehearted yes. Yes. Because entrusting yourself to Jesus and putting your faith in Him means you have already come to Jesus to receive His rest. The work is done. It is finished. All there is for you to do now is to sit back, and to marvel at his work. It's such a simple thing to do. And yet, generations of God's people failed to enter that rest because they did not believe and because they disobeyed. Which is why the writers of the Hebrews urges us to strive, to strive So that none of us may fall by the same sort of disobedience as generations past. And so, friends, this means uh, that it is not enough for us to simply say that we believe. We can't just be like, oh, yes, I believe in the rest. But, friends, we need to act like we believe. We need to act like we believe, which means we need to rest. We need to rest. Now, what rest means to you might be completely different to the person sitting next to you. Some people rest by riding 50 kilometers on their bike. Other people rest by staying at home and not seeing anyone for a whole day. A whole day. We're all built differently. with different capacities, different personalities. And I suspect that most of us know how to rest. We know the things that refresh us. We know the things that help us chill out and decompress whether that's reading or video games or coffee or cycling or K-dramas or ultimate Frisbee, home renovations, Dungeons and Dragons, fish tanks, whatever. I think our problem isn't knowing how to rest. I think for a lot of us, our problem is knowing that we need to rest. And we need to rest, friends, for one simple reason. Because we are not God. We are not God. God doesn't need to rest because he is the infinite creator. He has no limits. But we need to rest because we are finite creatures. We are limited. And specifically, we need God to give us rest because we are his finite creatures. We depend on Him. If we do not rest, and if we do not receive our rest from Him, then that's basically denying the reality that God is our creator. And that, brothers and sisters, is what we call sin. And this is something that I've had to painfully learn over the last decade both when it comes to serving in my ministry and when it comes also to wrestling with my own sinfulness. You know, for years, I've been able to carry on in my own strength, confident in my capabilities, confident in my capacity. But that all came to a head about halfway through my ministry traineeship because at that point, I hit a wall. I remember feeling so tired, so burdened by the weight of what I was doing and what I was being in ministry. I also remember feeling so unworthy because I couldn't get a a handle over my own sinful behavior. And I remember how I managed to come out on the other side. Firstly, I got some sleep. You'll be amazed at how much sleep can actually just do for you. But secondly... I let things go, and I entrusted them to God. It was okay that that thing didn't get done. God is powerful enough to use what I didn't do for his glory. Thirdly, I prayed, and I asked others to pray for me. I asked them to pray that God would give me deep, nourishing, spiritual rest. And over time, I learned and I experienced what it meant to be a creature, to be a creature who needs sustenance and grace from his creator. And friends, it's something I'm still learning to this very day. I'm still learning and experiencing what it means to be a creature who is sustained by his creator. Brothers and sisters, It is only when we repent of our sinfulness and embrace the truth of our creatureliness that we can truly embrace God's promise of rest, which is why it is so important, so important that we rest. Resting reinforces the truth of our creatureliness, and resting reinforces the reality of God's promise for rest. You see, when we rest, we acknowledge that God is the creator who promised rest to his creation. When we rest, we trust that God is the one who will bring his promised rest to his creation. When we rest, we remember that God has already achieved his promised rest in the work of Jesus. And when we rest... We anticipate the promised rest that is to come. When we rest, we believe that God has given us rest, both now and forever. So how do we enter God's rest? We enter by hearing his promise of rest. We enter by believing that he has given us a rest we enter by obeying his call to rest. Brothers and sisters, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But listen to these words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, creator of heaven and Earth, we pray that you would hear that we would hear your promise of rest, that we would believe you have given us rest, and that we would heed the call of Jesus to come to him for rest. Father, for those of us who are wearied and burdened by sin, by the hustle and bustle of our lives, by our worries and anxieties in this world, we pray that we might trust in your unchanging grace and that, we might, that you might give us the rest that we truly need in Christ as we strive to live now and enter your eternal rest. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.